The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting.TV Live. I'm here with Miranda Marquit as usual, and our guest today is Steve Chu. Steve, how are you doing? Good. How's it going, Harlan? Miranda? It's going great. So we're going to talk about starting an e-commerce business today. And why are we doing this? Why is this kind of adulting? A lot of young people in the workforce are thinking about different ways to earn money and different career paths. Uh, you know, we talked recently about choosing different, you know, moving from one career path to another. And one of those changes tends, you know, the, the, the opportunities are out there for earning money from selling items online. And uh, Steve is a great person to talk to about that. Can you introduce yourself, Steve, and tell us a little bit about how you got into e-commerce? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, uh, I met Harlan and Miranda at FinCon, which is just a shout out to PT and FinCon. Um, I first started selling online when my wife told me that she was going to quit her job as soon as we had our first child. And at the time we were both working and we live in a really expensive area, which basically requires two incomes in order to, you know, buy a house in a good school district. So when she actually threatened to quit, I was a little terrified. And so that's why we kind of brainstormed different ways to replace her income. We came up with the idea of selling handkerchiefs online uh, because of an experience we had with our wedding. And that store ended up taking off really well. And we ended up doing six figures in profit, which incidentally was the same amount that my wife was making at her day job. And we did that in 2007, and it's been growing in the double and triple digits for the last uh, nine years. So pretty amazing. What happened at the wedding that inspired you to uh, start your own? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, items. She was so happy that she was going to spend the rest of her life with me that she knew she was going to cry. And we spent all this money on photography and she wanted a handkerchief. We could not find any anywhere. And we ended up finding this manufacturer in China. We ended up ordering a bunch of those. We used maybe six of them, sold the rest on eBay and they sold like hotcakes. And so when it came time to start the business, we got back in touch with that original vendor. That's how it all started. What, what made you decide to start you know, of, of all the things you could have done to uh, create, you know, a replacement income, why selling things? Yeah, it's a good question. We actually had other ideas. Uh, we wanted to start a Kumans, which is like a, a study prep type of center. Uh, there was another idea where we wanted to start this place, uh, like a food prep place. But what ended up happening is all those things required a huge upfront cost. I think opening a Kumans was like $350,000 just to start. Whereas with e-commerce, we started with 600 bucks. And so, and, and it's nice because the server takes the orders for you. You don't have to be present. And that way we could work on the business at night once the kids fell asleep. And so that's why e-commerce was ideal for us. So for somebody who's looking to start a business like this, how some products will sell well online uh, and other products will not. What is, is, is that, 
a key to uh, a key to choosing a product? Do you know? Can you tell in advance whether it's going to sell? Yeah, yeah. So believe it or not, and actually, very few people know this, but there's tools out there that will tell you how well products are selling on Amazon. So, for example, I could pull something up. And I could get a pretty good idea of how many units per month that item sells. And because I have this research and these numbers at my disposal, I can go in and do research and have a pretty good confidence that there's definitely demand for that product. So then the challenge becomes how you can produce a product that is more unique or better than what's already out there. Right. So... How did you do that with your handkerchiefs? Now, you said that you, yeah. you decided that you were going to do the handkerchiefs uh, from your wife's wedding, but how did you differentiate? Yeah, so when we got started, there was no Amazon, right? So when we got started, there was only eBay. And so what ended up happening was, you know, when we sold off the excess inventory, they sold really quickly on eBay. And so when we went back and contacted the vendor again, and this was three years later, I think, uh, we just did a small batch. And then we tried selling them on eBay again, just to make sure that they still could sell. And then after that point, we bought a larger quantity and tried to sell it on our site, knowing that worst case, if we couldn't move any on our own site, we could still liquidate everything on eBay. So eBay was our validation when we started. So how about knowing something about a product first? Should you sell something that you are familiar with, something that is related to something in your life that, or you, do you just go by the numbers and find, you know, start searching and find something that's doing really well, um, you know, on Amazon already? Uh, and how do you deal with all the competition? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say it really depends on your personality. So I have a bunch of students, so I teach a class on this subject. And certain people come in with preconceived notions of what they want to sell. And as long as there's demand for whatever you're passionate about, and you can put something out there that really stands out, I say go for it, even though there's a lot of competition. However, a lot of people don't know what they want to sell. And for those people, I would advise that they actually do it based purely on the numbers. Like, obviously, I'm not interested in handkerchiefs at all. But the numbers work out, and so it makes sense to sell them. And once you start selling them and making money, you actually become interested in them. I actually know a lot about hankies, and it's useless knowledge, but uh, it just came with the territory. And I'm just really excited about the business aspects and the tools to get more customers in, the customer psychology. All those things are very interesting to me. For anyone who hasn't been involved in sales before what are what are some of the ways that they can get the seller's mindset i see well here's the thing i mean we're selling online right which means that you know you're not actually selling a computer is selling everything for you in that respect it's all about putting together a landing page that really talks to whoever you're trying to sell to and since i have miranda on this is really funny because miranda actually helped me put together a landing page specifically targeting LD or, or Mormons. Or LDS. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so it was the same exact product that we were selling for weddings. And we just kind of configured it in such a way that it was just targeting LDS uh, people. So yeah, yeah that was a was, lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I had a good time with that. That was a good time. I was clueless too. So Miranda had to walk me through that. 
But yeah, so now we actually rank for LDS handkerchiefs, I think. Yeah, you do. It's it's yeah. not like the top or anything, but but you right. used to I remember like after we did it and you launched it, you had actually you were like ranking pretty high. Now other people are in the game and so Yeah, yeah. I think we're still on the front page, but I'm you not are still on the front page. You're like okay. I just checked, you're like fourth down. Okay. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> That's not bad. Good I, I feel good about this. <laughs> So we but do no, get a couple of orders on that on that landing page um, every now and then. So, well, and I like uh, I like how you point out that you know you really need to take into account you know, who your customer might be or who you're targeting, and and really kind of tweak your landing page to to kind of jump out at them. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's just yeah, because it's not just about like let's throw it out there and they'll come. Like you, you actually, you actually do a lot of research and a lot of testing to see like which pages work the best. You do a lot of kind of research, right? And and kind of try some different and experiment a little bit to see what's going to work best. Yeah. So the way we do things is we take one product and we see if we can apply it to different use cases. So we have weddings, birthdays, graduations, sororities. These are all the same products that we're selling, except we're just tailoring the language and the sales copy to kind of cater to these other audiences. So you've talked a little bit about landing pages, uh, but you've also mentioned selling on e and selling on Amazon. How do you choose whether you use these uh, existing seller marketplaces like eBay or Amazon, obviously the two biggest, or and Etsy? Let's versus not talk about Etsy. Or, <laughs> exactly, Etsy. Those three versus setting up your own website that doesn't have an existing, you know, there there isn't knowledge of your website before it exists. Uh, it isn't a place that people go to to look for product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great uh, question. One or the other. I think that in the end, you should be selling on all marketplaces, right? Because they're just completely different audiences. Someone who buys on eBay is not going to buy on Amazon and vice versa in general. Some people go straight to Amazon. Some people prefer to shop at small boutiques. So whenever you're ready to expand, like we sell on Amazon and we sell on our own site, we actually no longer sell on eBay. And the reason for that is it's, it's a lot of work to sell on eBay. And the people who shop there tend to be looking for bargains. And it's just more of a hassle. Whereas Amazon, they handle all the fulfillment for you. So you don't even need to carry any inventory. You send stuff over there. They handle all the customer service, which allows it to, allows you to run a store on Amazon very easily. In fact, for all the students in my class, I recommend that they start out on Amazon because it's so hands-off. And once they've found a product that really works, then transition to your own website, which does take a lot more work. And so that's that's one of the trade-offs. Does Amazon also require, you know, they have other rules in terms of things you can sell and how you can sell? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of rules. Amazon controls everything. They also charge hefty fees. So right off the bat, they take 15% off. And if you want them to fulfill it for you, then it can be anywhere from like another 10 or 15% on top of that. So, so that would cut right into your profit margins. Yeah, so I always assume that Amazon's going to take a third. So that's that's the other disadvantage, uh, but the advantage is you know everyone shops on Amazon, so you're going to make sales. It's it's a lot easier. So does it make sense to like, like do you you sell on Amazon too, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. So so it makes sense to kind of just be in as many places as you can, perhaps. Um, yeah, as... totally. It does, um, and okay. it just depends on how much capacity you have, right? Amazon is the most hands off, so if you start on there. Amazon takes care of everything. And so chances are you're going to have some time to work on your own website. And so today we actually work 
where we focus most of our time on our website because it does require more work than maintaining an Amazon store. What, what, what are the expectations that a new seller should have when they start selling a product? I think expectations is probably the biggest part of evaluating whether you're successful or not. So what are the expectations someone should have? Yeah, I mean, that's a really hard question to answer because it depends on so many different factors. But I would say that if you are starting around the holidays, like if you get a product up before like the holiday season, almost anything that you throw up will sell. Like I, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but um, the students in my class come Christmas time where just everyone goes nuts on Amazon. I didn't have any students who didn't make sales over the holidays as long as they had a product up. So in terms of your expectations on revenue, that's a really hard question to answer because it just depends on the demand and the type of product. But if you're launching over the holidays, I would say there's a pretty high probability that whatever you have will sell. Dang, we should have done this show like two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> how long? So, did, so um, well, speaking of timing, how long does it take to actually go from yeah. you know the idea or testing or market research to launching a product? Yeah, so there's different ways to source a product. Um, if you're going the Amazon route, because they take away so much of your money, like in Amazon fees, that implies that you have to really high margins for yourself. And so that's why I recommend that if you're going to be selling Amazon, you have to have margins of at least 66%, which basically means that you're going to have to manufacture your own goods. So if you go that route and you have something made in China, for example, that can take on the order of a couple of months just to get manufactured. Before you start getting anything manufactured also, there's a lot of back and forth where you actually have to refine the product to exactly how you want it before you buy that huge quantity. And so the process takes a while. It can take several months. And then, you know, you, once you ship it to Amazon, then you got to work on the listing and jumpstart the product a little bit. And then, you know, afterwards, then the sales start, start coming in. So I would say maybe five or six months. And is China the best route in terms of manufacturing? Um, it is the easiest route. It's not always the best route. And again, it depends what you are trying to source. So if it's textiles and that sort of thing, China tends to be really good. Same goes with electronics. Once you've once you've done some market research and you figured out this is the product I want, I'm going to have to customize it. What is the process that you follow to get you to the point where you can start selling? Yeah, yeah. So once you know that what you want to sell or you have a pretty good idea, it's time to look for a manufacturer, right? And so Right now, an easy way to do that is to go on Alibaba.com, which is basically a, a marketplace of, of Chinese manufacturers. And so you go on there, it's like a search engine, you type in what you want to sell, you basically blast a bunch of manufacturers, what you want to sell, and they come back with quotes. And then you go back and forth and you say, hey, I want to make some changes to this product. Um, let's say I'm doing a handkerchief and I want the material to be thicker, I want lace around it. I will give them these blueprints and then they'll send me samples and there's a little back and forth here and there until we've kind of narrowed down what the sample looks like. And then after that, we hit the production button and then they make a whole bunch of them for us. So that's the process for sourcing. And then you got to get them into the US, right? So typically you can either hire someone to help you with that or if it's a small enough shipment, they can just ship it over by air using like a DHL or a FedEx. 
And it's just like getting a regular package to your warehouse or your house, uh, except you got to pay customs. That's the main difference. And then, of course, once you have the goods, depending on where you want to sell them, whether it be Amazon, let's say it's Amazon, then you would uh, go on Amazon and tell them, hey, I'm shipping in this product. And then you send it directly to Amazon's warehouse. And then it's up on Amazon. Uh, customs, is that uh, are those expensive fees that you have to pay? It depends on the item. So certain things have pretty hefty custom fees. Other things like textiles, not so much. Um, there's websites out there that will tell you exactly what the customs fee will be for your particular product. I just find it interesting um, that you, you mentioned that you can just send it right to Amazon's warehouse, right? So, so that just that means really truly Amazon just takes care of everything, right? Once you get it sent to the warehouse, that's pretty kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, you know they have all these robots in there, right? Doing all the fulfillment right. and, and behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So, so once you have this all done and you've got it sourced and you've got your product, uh, how do you market it? Because you know, just now that you've got it, obviously you've got to put it out there and you've got to let people know about it. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, if the product is in high demand, it will probably get some traffic from Amazon and sales. You know, as is. The way you boost sales on Amazon and improve visibility is by getting reviews for your product. I don't know if you guys purchase on Amazon. I'm sure you guys do, actually. And you notice that you get these follow-up emails from people. Uh, have you have you gotten any of those? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they're asking for a review, right? Right, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. how you boost your listing. And so let's say your product requires a little bit more work to get jump-started. What you can do is you can do – you can collect emails – you know, uh, start a fan page, you can collect emails, do a giveaway, and just try to kind of jumpstart your sales that way. And of course, there's these autoresponder sequences, there's tools out there that will send those automated emails that you guys have both been both receiving, so that when you receive that item, or when a customer receives that item, they get an email asking for a review. And in the beginning, it's a little bit slow to start up. But once you kind of get a couple reviews under your belt, then this flywheel starts turning and you start getting more and more sales, uh, which just kind of, it, it feeds upon itself. And then once that happens, you can buy, Amazon has advertising where you pay per click. You can use that as well to boost your listings. Nice. And so what if you have your own website? What are some of the things that you did to market your website in the beginning? Uh, like you said, Amazon didn't exist at the time. And uh, I know that you had some interesting things like being featured on a popular TV show. But what were some of the things that you guys did to kind of help market your your store when you were first getting started? Yeah, all that, that the TV stuff and the press actually didn't come till much later. Uh, when we first started, uh, I was really scrappy. I was a lot scrappier then. But uh, first and foremost, we used Google AdWords, which at the time was much less competitive, and we were making a killing with Google AdWords. Um, we were also doing a lot of content marketing. So we would write these craft pages with the products that we were selling, which would rank in search, and then we'd funnel them over to email, or we'd funnel them over to products, and we'd make sales that way. I used to actually pose as a woman on the forums, on the wedding forums, and I would just help out other brides with their stuff. And then if they were asked for wedding favor ideas, I would say, oh, yeah, you can get a handkerchief. You know, I would make 
suggestions. I, I, I was Christina on there. I don't know if we do not condone <laughs> online fraud. <laughs> it's not fraud. It's not fraud. <laughs> I was very helpful to the audience. Uh, yeah, but they so, probably wouldn't have trusted you if they knew you were a man. <laughs> that's true. Yes, but I, you know, my persona was sad. like this bubbly woman, right? I was very bubbly, like so excited about weddings and and, and whatnot. Uh, the third prong that we did is we got in touch with event planners and wedding planners, uh, people who are buying in bulk. And once we, so we started out, we kind of stumbled upon that. When people started ordering a lot or like a huge order, it made us think, I was like, huh, why is this person ordering so much? This is like more than any wedding party. And so we got on the phone with these people and then we found out that they were planners. And that gave us the idea to kind of do a lot more outreach in that department because these people buy consistently and often. That's actually um, a really cool idea. It's going to kind of the gatekeepers and going to people who, uh, gosh, I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> but I like I like that idea of of looking at it and say, okay, so who who would who would need to, these in bulk, and and who are people that we can do relationships with who can maybe recommend our product to somebody else. Yeah, we didn't have the same success with Mormons, however, Miranda. Like the question now is, how do I tap into that Mormon audience? <laughs> you don't need to. You're doing fine without <laughs> it. <laughs> You're doing a great job without it. <laughs> but then what what does happen, though, if you do happen to – how do you prepare for like a media situation? Because we have heard the horror stories of companies that suddenly get some big media attention and all of a sudden their, their site goes down or they run out of product and then it's like back ordered for three weeks and everybody's pissed off. So how do you prepare for something? Like, is there a way to prepare for that? Do you just... Yeah. Um, so I, I assume you're referring to when we got mentioned on the Today show. Yeah, you did yeah. that. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Um, but then, you know... <laughs> Yeah, so that yeah. was the craziest time. And we knew maybe two weeks ahead of time that it was going to happen. So we weren't totally unprepared. Um, I actually, I'm an engineer, so I actually made sure the server wasn't going to go down. And I made a bunch of modifications to the website to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. In terms of, outside of that, it was just, we had plenty of, of stock. So we weren't going to run out. And so it was just a matter of being able to fulfill everything. And I actually went in and helped out on that day to help fulfill. But my primary concern was just the website going down. And so I just made sure that didn't happen. Very, very nice. So now what happens if you're not an engineer? And, <laughs> and <laughs> Well, you know what you do you today, is a lot it. <laughs> it's a lot easier today. Like you can go with these services that handle all of your website shopping cart stuff for you, like a Shopify or big commerce. And you don't have to worry about your site going down. It just so happens I was managing my own server, and that's why I had to worry about it. But today, you don't really need to, as long as you're using one of those fully hosted services. And do you recommend to new people like that they do that, uh, that they use like the Shopify's of the world? To yeah, definitely. Definitely. In fact, all my students, it, with the exception of a few that are pretty tech-savvy, uh, I'll push them over to Shopify or BigCommerce because it is so much easier to design everything, and there's... It's like WordPress. It's like a one-click plugin that will do something for you, and you don't have to know anything technical at all. Very cool, and and kind of I guess the less time you spend having to fiddle with the back end, the more time you can market and and work on your business. Yeah, that's the idea, at least. Yeah. 
<laughs> the big hope. Right, right. Is there anyone who you think shouldn't go this route and start an e-commerce business? I mean, it really depends. It, you are dealing with physical products. And if you go the Amazon route, which is what I was describing, it does require some amount of upfront cost. So bare minimum, I would say you'd be willing to invest 500 bucks, but preferably $1,000 or more because you are going to be buying in bulk and you have to invest upfront. Now, that being said, there's other ways to get started in e-commerce that don't involve Amazon and have far less costs. Um, for example, you can drop ship, which is when you take orders and the vendor is responsible for shipping them for you. So you don't have to carry any inventory. You're just like the middleman. And so you can get started with just a website. You don't really need anything else. Um, you can also do inventory within the U.S. Like you can buy products within U.S. manufacturers and sell them. And typically the way it works with a U.S. distributor is the minimum order size isn't actually that large. Oftentimes it's like a few hundred dollars and you can get started that way. Uh, the most expensive way, of course, is to have your stuff manufactured, which implies a large quantity. But that's actually where the highest margins are as well. So it really just depends on your personality and what you want to do. Yeah, you know, when I think when I was looking into this years ago, I mean, the drop shipping was the really hot um, approach to starting an e-commerce without without much startup. What, how, how would someone decide between um, drop shipping right now or uh, manufactured items? I would say that drop shipping is getting a lot harder to do. And primarily that is because of Amazon. So you have this distributor uh, who can, you know, what, they have to decide whether they want to drop ship or whether they just want to ship everything straight to Amazon. And Amazon will tend to do a lot better job of selling because the audience is so large. And so when you're drop shipping, the margins are a lot lower too. They're on the order of like 30% at most. And that really limits your flexibility on pricing as well as advertising. And so what then what, what ends up happening is you have to rely on kind of free methods of promotion like social media or SEO, which tends to be a lot slower. And you couple that with lower margins and the ramp up to profitability is a lot longer. So the reason you might go with drop shipping is if you don't have a whole lot of funds to get started and uh, you know you just want to dip your toes in the water. Now, that being said, you're not precluded from doing you know, combining different business models. You can run a store and carry inventory and drop ship other items to kind of fill everything out. So there's a lot of flexibility there. So. Oh, I was just going to say with the drop shipping, uh, I think I would be worried because since you're re relying on the vendor to fulfill the orders, I think I might be worried that it wouldn't go right. But then of course they'd complain at you because you're like the face. That's correct. Yeah. You have to handle all the customer service. So that's, that's something that I would be a little wary of because I'd be like, oh, so I'm on the hook for this and it's my fault if something doesn't go wrong, except it's not my fault if something goes wrong, but the customer feels like it's my fault. So yeah, I would, oh, geez, the thought of it is just. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's very important to have really reliable partners. And if you think about it this way, handling returns is a little bit problematic as well because they're going to be returning stuff to you. Or the man, it, like every time someone wants to make a turn, you have to make some sort of arrangement with the manufacturer so they ship it back to them instead of you, right? Mm. There's other problems too. Like if you're using multiple drop shippers, that means the customer is going to get two different packages or packages from each different 
dropshipper, which can be kind of confusing as well. So you mentioned SEO, uh, which is something that you have to think about whether you're selling things on Amazon or selling things on your own website. What what's the what what do you need to do uh, to improve your search engine um, placement for any product that you sell? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like blogging. And I'm sure you guys have covered this to death, but it's all about putting out really long form content, getting backlinks, uh, rele- relevant content to what you're selling that people will actually share. Um, we actually do a lot of Facebook ads where we drive people to content and try to get email signups. It's very similar to any other online business or blogging. Yeah, and I think um, you mentioned email lists. That is that 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 is a huge uh, marketing emails. How do you go about starting up an email list, and what do you want to include to make sure it it has the best effect in terms of sales? Yeah, so we have a couple ways to gather emails. Uh, one way is we give out a free crafts ebook in return for an email, and they'll get that via a pop up or or whatnot. Um, you know, all across the site. And once they get that ebook, we have this three month long autoresponder sequence. I mean, here's the thing about e-commerce. Someone might not be ready to buy just that moment, but by constantly sending them emails, when they are ready to buy, they will actually think about your store and make a purchase. And so that way, that's why we consistently email a customer at least once a week. And most of the time it's content. We're not even trying to sell them something uh, a lot of the time. So yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask about them, like, how do you do it once a week without being all? I, I, I guess doing it once a week is the answer. But I mean, I was just going to say, how do you do it without like being spammy? Yeah, I mean, it's just like running a blog, right? You're sending them content. You're not like giving them a sales pitch each time. You might intermingle sales pitches within your sequence, but for the most part, it's content that they probably are interested in reading. Well, I mean, a lot of our customers are brides, so we'll put out like wedding ideas content or like a bridal emergency kit, stuff like that. So we do have a we do have one question. Uh, they asked, how often do you change your product up? Do you change it up? Is it seasonal? How often? Yeah, is that something you want to do? So we purposely stock things that are not seasonal, and that way, in the event they don't move, it's it's not like what you think of as a retail store where they got to liquidate all the latest fashion so they can get the next generation in or the next uh, season in. For us, we try to carry things that are kind of evergreen, and so we don't worry. We don't have to worry about that liquidating our shelves and that sort of thing. When somebody's trying to decide what kind of product they want to sell, this is probably something they want to keep in mind. Then, right? Whether it's evergreen, whether they're going to have to rotate their product, uh, whether they need to update it every now and then, uh, is that? I tend to not like seasonal products. There's this one student who wanted to sell Halloween costumes, and that's like basically once a year pretty much. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. You know, otherwise you're going to hold the stock for a whole nother year. Right. And you can do it and there's places that do it. It's just a lot of stress, um, unneeded stress in my opinion. How do you evaluate whether you want to go for perhaps like a, a high quality, high priced item and go for a certain clientele or whether you go for volume, lowest quality possible that's acceptable, um, lowest price? But where, where do you, how yeah. do you make that decision? So first and foremost, I would either go low or high. I would never go in between because that's like no man's land. 
Uh, I always try to encourage my students to go higher end if possible because they'll make more money per sale. Um, because when you're selling cheap stuff, it's a little bit harder to express your value proposition and why your product is better. I mean, oftentimes just saying you're the cheapest, that's not really a great value proposition because someone could just undercut you. Whereas when you take some time and produce something really good, it's harder for other people to copy you and your product is more defensible, if that makes sense. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. That's pretty similar to the way a lot of um, those of us kind of in the writing space uh, and freelancers kind of talk about it, you know, uh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. You can hire somebody off of this low rates, you know, site, but here's my value proposition. It's a higher quality. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a really um, good point because you do want to be able to defend charging a higher price. And that's why, Miranda, you are able to charge such premium pricing. <laughs> You're so nice. Because <laughs> I'm so, so very awesome. <laughs> or something. Oh, gosh. <laughs> How do you communicate that value proposition? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just copywriting, right? Um, you go into, when, when you're first deciding what you want to sell, uh, an easy way to do this is you go on Amazon and you look at, the, like the three or two star reviews that people are leaving and people complain about these products right and so you want to take these this feedback and you want to update your product accordingly so that when you put together your landing page you can say the things or the reasons why your product is better than what's already out there if that makes sense that that sounds like a great idea you look at all the problems that people have and then you solve those problems they're more more likely to uh, purchase an item that solves a problem that people people are experiencing mm -hmm. yeah all right do you have any uh tools that people can find um through your site or or anything that you offer that can help people go through the process yeah, so I actually offer this free six-day mini course on my site, and it, it's a really good introduction to e-commerce if you are interested in selling physical products online, and that can just be found at mywifequitherjob.com. Sign up for them right there on the front page, and as soon as you sign up, it gets sent to you immediately. Places where people might find you? Let's see. You'll find me at FinCon. Uh, you mean physically or virtually? <laughs> <laughs> I mean virtually, yeah. Virtually, yeah. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and my wife quit. Uh, I, I'm on Facebook, obviously, and then you can find me on my site and contact me through the contact form there. Fantastic. This is really cool information. I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people who are looking for, you know, a supplement to their income to start or perhaps a new career path, something they haven't considered before. Uh, you know, obviously, as adults, we're all thinking about how we can uh, earn money and create the love that we want and support our families or ourselves. And this is this is a great idea. Um, so Steve, thank you so much for being on Adulting today. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. And if anyone in your audience is about to get married, uh, head on over to BumblebeeLinens.com. We'll hook you up. <laughs> nice. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today for Adulting.tv Live. We'll be live again sometime to us on YouTube to make sure you know where that is. And Adulting.tv slash IT tunes for our cast and adulting.tv come to our website ask us a question we'd love to answer it in a podcast or in an article and we will talk to you soon thank you for listening to adulting 
find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.